It's a new year and a new chance for you to make a fresh start with your compliance. For the next 31 days on the FCPA Compliance Report, we're going to be bringing you a daily tip, strategy, or idea that you can use to improve your program. Here's your host, Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist. Design of your Code of Conduct Next is the design of your Code of Conduct. Through attention to detail in the design process, you should be able to come out at the end with a code which will help you to more fully operationalize your compliance program and indeed put your compliance program into the very DNA and fabric of your organization. You must begin with a determination of what you are trying to accomplish. It does not serve you to try and list every compliance risk that you might think your company may encounter. You should determine the values you want to communicate, what the expectations are for employees, and how to call the hotline. Under such an approach, the Code of Conduct can be a jumping-off point for training on all the issues stated in it. It can also form the hub of the wheel for other policies and procedures and written standards you want to communicate to relevant stakeholders. You should consider how you are going to distribute your Code of Conduct to your employees and stakeholders. If it is through an Adobe PDF format, which is accessible for most stakeholders across an organization, or via another method. If a significant part of your workforce does not have access to computers, online production will not work as the primary distribution platform. So what should be in communicated in your code of conduct? Well, uh, number one, values. One conundrum is whether and how to incorporate your ethical values into your code of conduct. You can integrate values by incorporating them into a discussion of the risk topics in your code of conduct. This aids as you roll out the topic of interest in discussing the new or revised code of conduct. Integrity can be discussed in the context of a non-retaliation policy. Two, benchmarking. Another tool is to benchmark other codes of conducts. If you consider other companies in your industry, organizations that operate in the same geographic jurisdictions as your organization does, and the companies with a similar employee size, consider what they're doing and determine what appeals to you and what you might think about not only their code of conduct, but how it might work for your organization. If you have not updated your code, there will probably be new areas you need to incorporate into an updated version. Two obvious areas of risk include social media and cybersecurity. Such an exercise will help your goal setting at the beginning of the project and allow you to move more directly to the drafting of the text. Three, drafting and redrafting. If you are starting from scratch, an outline is a good way to go. If you are working from a current version, you may want to go through a few drafts with redlining the text to eliminate confusing language and unnecessary legalization, which is meaningless to anyone other than lawyers. An example here is to move from the U.S.-centric focus on the FCPA due to the proliferation of other countries enacting anti-corruption legislation such as the Brazil Clean Companies Act, Chinese domestic anti-bribery laws, Sapondu in France, of course the U.K. Bribery Act, and other standards as well. The overriding concept of operationalization applies equally to your code of conduct, drafting, or updating exercise. This means you need to consider how you're going to involve the operational areas of your organization in that process. As there is a clear Department of Justice expectation around your code of conduct as set out in the 2019 guidance. You should engage a focus group tasked with doing red lines of the text. 
The key is to involve employees from different parts of your organization. This means different functional business units as well as different geographic areas. It is important to involve people from outside the company, excuse me, outside compliance and legal functions in the process so that they, you can get buy-in from a wide variety of corporate business units. This can certainly aid when the time comes for rollout. Using the business folks to de help develop questions and answers, examples, or scenarios can help to address common questions from the field and can also be helpful and useful in making your code of conduct training more effective. Having someone from operations suggest to you what would be a good example or Q&A because if there are issues that the business unit needs to deal with on a daily basis, that can be most helpful not only for your code of conduct, but for moving it out and fully operationalizing it. Further, there are different parts of this process where you can include employees into your code development. This involvement not only makes your code of conduct more robust, but it will help it to further operationalize it by making it more applicable to the business folks who in fact, and indeed, are the ones who have to implement it. Indeed, the government will probably ask you who outside the compliance and legal function was involved and what their contribution was going forward. Getting different perspectives is important, but you need to include non-compliance teams early in the process by helping you plan and draft, and then, of course, through rewrite and implementation. You can look to the example of Lewis Sapperman when he was Chief Compliance Officer at Dun & Bradstreet. They were working on a code of conduct uh, uh, revision, and through internal social media channels, the title of the code of conduct was suggested. So this is one way which you can certainly invest employees and have them have a vested interest in your code of conduct, most particularly when it's indeed the employees who are naming the very code that they want to follow. So think about how you can include focus groups, employees through social media, uh, others in your organization, both at the corporate headquarters and other functional disciplines, but also uh, different geographic regions. Obviously now in the age of a coronavirus, we have uh, mastered the conference call and the video conference call. So why not have video conference calls around your code of conduct, literally utilizing talent across the globe? So what are today's three key takeaways? Well, number one, uh, get your business folks involved in your code of conduct from the outset. And more than simply the business folks, I would say uh, others away from the corporate office and indeed in ge different geographic regions outside the United States, or if you're a non-U.S. domiciled corporation outside the uh, home country where you're domiciled. Two, your ethical values should be in integrated into and integral to your code of conduct. So make sure that uh, you have your ethical values literally sprinkled throughout your code of conduct. And number three, how have you operationalized your code of conduct? This is going to be an important issue for regulators, for your board of directors, and for other outside stakeholders who may want to see what are your values, are they written down, and are you really living up to them in a measured way going forward? I hope you will enjoy the entire month on written standards and that you will listen in again where we explore another topic in the month of May. If I could ask you to do so, would you pass on to at least one person this podcast series on the nuts and bolts of compliance as I'm trying to expand my audience base for 31 days to a more effective compliance program. I hope you'll join me again tomorrow where I take up another topic in innovation and compliance. Thanks again for listening.
31 Days to a More Effective Compliance Program is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.